And I'd like to welcome you all, uh, especially if you're with us for the first time. Good morning. And we pray tonight, uh, this, I'm sorry, this morning will be a blessing to you spiritually in Christ. And we welcome all of you who are watching on Living Word Live this morning. Praise God. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Judges, chapter 6, verse 27. I know I shared uh, uh, from the book of Judges about Gideon and the, the pitchers, the ceramic pitchers that they broke. I know it was on June 1st because we had a special dinner here on June 1st. And I met a man by the name of Russell, Brother Russell, afterwards. And uh, he, he told me that I preached about Gideon correctly, that I did, I did fine. And he hadn't heard preaching on Gideon since he was a boy in Sunday school. But that I did fine. And um, apparently I didn't do fine because it's been four more meetings since then. We'll, we'll keep at it until we get it right. Amen? Praise the Lord. Judges chapter 6 and verse 27. It says, Then Gideon took ten men of his servants... And did as the Lord said unto him, and so it was because he feared his father's household and the men of the city that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. What he did was tear down the altars of idolatry that were in his own family's property. But he couldn't tear them down in the day because he was afraid. So he tore them down at night. Fear is a big topic in the Word of God. It is mentioned hundreds of times. And maybe it's uh, talked about so much because fear is a powerful and basic part of human nature. We deal with it. It's part of us and it's a challenge to us. The message of the Word of God about fear is always the same. And the, the message is always, do not fear the circumstances of your life. Don't fear anything in this life, and don't let anything, any fear of something in this life stop you from serving the Lord. At the same time, fear God. That's always the message of the Word of God. Don't let fear stop you from serving the Lord. Fear God. Very simple. Amen? But as soon as I start talking about fear, I know people's ears perk up. There are fears that are good and they're justified and they can save you from unnecessary pains. I think that might be called wisdom. might be called prudence. But it's a problem when so-called, put quotes around it, wisdom keeps you from serving the Lord. We don't want that. We want to serve the Lord with faith. And sometimes serving the Lord with faith will not appear like the wisest choice to the natural mind. Gideon had fear. He understood the challenge of fear. When we first uh, meet Gideon in the Word of God, he is actually 
listen to this closely, he's threshing wheat in a wine press. If that sounds like sort of a dumb thing to do, I've got to agree with you. A wine press is not a good place to thresh wheat. But that's what he was doing, and he was doing that because he was afraid, and he was hiding from the Midianites. How moved by fear are you? How powerful is your bundle of personal fears? What do you fear the most? Does fear stop you from serving the Lord? I will tell you that idolatry results from physical fear. That will probably be my main point this morning, a good expression of my main point this morning, that idolatry results from physical fear. This morning I'm going to cover three topics. Uh, I'm going to cover Gideon and how from Gideon we learned that fear is, is uh, not a thing that you can just get rid of, but it's a thing you have to deal with and overcome. Second, I'll be talking to you about the connection between fear and idolatry. And thirdly, I'm going to talk about how we learn from Jesus a message about fear that being a Christian requires that we overcome physical fear. Gideon is a great study in fear. The word fear and the topic of fear is mentioned many times in this account about Gideon. We learn uh, that Gideon was moved by fear here, and he could not tear down the idol statues and the idol, idolatrous altars to Baal and Asherah. That's what we covered on May 1st our first study of Gideon. He couldn't do it in the daytime because he was afraid. He could manage the fear well enough to be able to tear down the altars and the Asherah pole at night. He's an interesting study in fear because the Lord looks at him a different way than he looks at himself. He's got fear. But the Lord calls him a mighty man of valor. How does that, how do those two details match up? Verse 12 says, The angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Well, that's good news. Because you might be struggling with fear, but in the eyes of the Lord, you might be a mighty man or a mighty woman of valor. The Hebrew word for valor here is the same word that's used in Proverbs 31 in the description of a virtuous woman. She is a woman of valor. Virtuous. Courageous. Even though you might be struggling with fear. Verse 14 says, The Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might. And thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? All right, he's a mighty man of valor. He's being sent by the Lord. He's a warrior. He's got might or power. But he struggled with fear. 
the Lord must have been talking about his potential. He was potentially a mighty man of valor and a warrior. And he had might. Called by God. If he could overcome his fear, he had great potential. But he had to overcome that fear. Fear can be inhibiting. No no question about it. Right, brothers and sisters? We know that. In Hebrew, verse 27, the verse we started with, verse 27, it says, It was so because he feared his father's household and the men of the city that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. In Hebrew, the the language expresses quite strongly that the fear of his family and the fear of his town kept him, stopped him, put up a roadblock for him when it came to destroying his family's idols in the day. In the day was just something. He couldn't go there. In the night, he could do it. But light, the light of day, put him over the edge. I'm not doing that. Stopped from doing it in the day. Interesting, very interesting how Gideon reaches a red line of fear when he reaches the difference between night and day. Nighttime, uh, I'm afraid, but I can do it. Daytime, I'm afraid, but I'm stopped. It was difficult to come out into the light. The light was a stopper. But his fear wasn't a total stopper. He made some predictions, and oftentimes fear is a matter of making predictions. It's a matter of worrying about what the consequences will be to an action or to a a step that we might take or to something that is near us or in front of us. And we predict pain and loss. Well, Gideon predicted that his family and the town would put him on the blacklist, that they would persecute him, and reject him and despise him if they found out that he tore down these idols of Baal and Asherah and his predictions were partly right and partly wrong. The town certainly was upset with him. By the way, it didn't help him much that he did it at night. Then it took one day for everybody to figure out and know who did it. So doing it in the night really didn't help at all. The only one that helped was Gideon. He could do it at night. Well, they all found out the next day his prediction that the town would come against him was correct. They did. But his prediction that his father would be against him was wrong. His father came out in support of Gideon. And this put Gideon on the path to leading the nation of Israel in the overthrow of the oppressive Midianites. Praise God. Gideon feared a confrontation that was unavoidable if he was going to serve the Lord. And that's the way it is for us two brethren. If we are going to serve the Lord, the Bible says 
those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I think the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the West and in America has got to stop trying to dodge persecution and try to make themselves popular and palatable, make themselves popular and tasteful to the world in order to avoid persecution. Let's just be who we are in Christ. Let's just serve our Lord. Can I hear an amen? The fear didn't do him any good. It didn't save him anything. His fear was not wisdom. The harm that came to him came to him anyway. And it wasn't so much harm after all. We all have our bundle of fears, don't we? We all have the things that trigger the rise of apprehension in our souls. And those triggers may be partly justified and they may be partly unjustified. Jesus asks us to confront our fears, to get past them, and to serve him. He is kind, he's loving, he's gentle, but he is also insistent. Fear is not a good reason to stop serving him or to draw back from serving him. We must, in Christ, get past our fears. And he does not promise us a fear-free life. He says, deny yourself and take up your cross daily. Does he not? And if we deny herself, ourselves, if we deny ourselves, do we not have to overcome the fear that rises up from inside us and and is just part of our bundle of fears. That means deny the fear that stops you from serving God. When you take up your cross, Jesus says, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. In one of the Gospels, he says, take up your cross daily and follow me. When you take up your cross, you accept pain as part of your experience. It's a cross. A cross is always the same in Jesus' world. When Jesus says cross, it always has the same meaning. The meaning of the cross is pain and injustice. There's no such thing in Jesus' vocabulary or the vocabulary of the New Testament where a cross doesn't mean pain. There's no such thing as when the cross doesn't mean injustice. The cross is always unjust. And Jesus says, take it up. He doesn't say, wait until somebody nails you to it. Wait until somebody straps you down, arrests you, slaps the handcuffs on you, and nails you to a cross. He says, take it up. Like he did. Voluntarily. Very scary thing. But Jesus did it. And he says, if any man will follow me, he's got to do it too. There's no such thing as a cross that doesn't hurt. There's no such thing as a cross that's fair. When you take up your cross, you will feel weak. It will make you feel weak. It will make you feel 
like a loser. Don't let the fear stop you. In taking up your cross, you are being a mighty man or a mighty woman of valor. Just like we respect and we honor and we worship Jesus for taking up his cross, don't we? We don't think of Jesus as weak because uh, our eyes are opened. Let's look at a little more at fear in this account of Gideon. Verse 10, chapter 6, verse 10. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but have, ye have not obeyed my voice. Uh, the children of Israel were oppressed by the Midianites, uh, an, another nation from that land, and they could hardly move. They could hardly breathe. They were taking all, having all their crops uh, taken from them. The people of Canaan claimed with great vehemence and with lots of activity and flair that you don't want to try to get success in life without the help of Baal. If you really want success in life and if you really want prosperity and if you want happiness, you've got to go the route of Baal and Asherah. So said the Amorites. And the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel when they were groaning and crying under the oppression of the Midianites. And they cried out to the Lord. The Lord heard their cry, sent to them a prophet who said, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. The nation of Israel was not required by the Amorites to give up the worship of Jehovah. They didn't care much if the nation of Israel kept on worshiping Jehovah. What they insisted upon, though, was that you add to that the worship of Baal and Asherah. Do you want good crops? Do you want a good growing season? Do you want a lot of fruit on your trees? Do you want to be happy? Do you want to prosper? You better honor Baal and Asherah. And they tried to instill fear into the nation of Israel when it came to the gods of the Amorites. You better watch out. You're going to lose if you don't honor Baal and Asherah. And the nation of Israel heard the message and they said, oh, really? Oh, I, I don't want to lose out. I don't want to, I don't want to pay an unnecessary price. And they heard the media opinions. And they heard the message that was being noised about through the streets. You better honor Baal and you better honor Asherah if you want to prosper and be happy in life. And they got afraid. Oh, wow, why don't we just add a couple gods to our list of gods that we honor? We'll keep on worshiping Jehovah. Let's, you know, let's... Uh, not take any chances here. I'm afraid. And so they began to honor Baal and Asherah as well. And that's when their trouble started. When they were moved by fear and tried to cover all their God bases, 
not taking any chances, by leaving out Baal and Asherah, they added them to their worship. And Judges 6.6 says, Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drave them out from before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God, fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. We just think we're spreading out our portfolio. We're diversifying our portfolio in order to make sure we don't have all of our investments in one place that might go down on us. We spread out our investments. Let's put some investments into Baal's stock, into Asherah's stock. The Lord said, don't fear, put all your trust in me. I have proven myself to you. The gods of the Amorites have not proven themselves to you. Well, brothers and sisters, we certainly have our Baals and our Asherahs this morning in our culture, don't we? We have the great the same great goal of human existence, happiness and success. And in our culture, people look to money for happiness. It's the bail of our culture. And people look to their own feelings and their own intuitions and to them to their own in a search for their own authentic self. Christianity gets in the way. The church is limiting. The Bible hampers my style. I've got to search for my authentic self. It's the Baal, money, and the Asherah, self, of our culture. You know, one of the reasons we have fear is because we have, we have fear many things. One thing we fear is pain. I know when I was a kid, I had to weed the gardens, the garden beds, every spring. And, you know, bees would buzz around you. And I was just totally afraid of the bees. I could hardly, fun- I could not function. When the bees would buzz around me, I would jump up off my knees or off where I was sitting and weeding the garden and I, and I would run a few steps back and every time I heard a buzz, bzzz, I'd get up and I'd panic and I, I could not function. The poor bees, they just wanted to get some of the nectar out of the flowers in the garden, right? Well, as time went on and I got a little older, I got stung by a bee here and stung by a bee there two or three hits from a yellow jacket every now and then when you walk into a nest. And what I found out was, you ain't so bad. That hurt. But fortunately, I wasn't allergic to bee stings or anything like that. It hurt a bit, but 
played sports. I got hurt worse playing sports and loved it. So after a while, I said, you ain't nothing, bees. And I stopped running away from them. And I stopped panicking when I hear them. And if the yellow jackets come around my plate when I'm having rough edges dinner at camp, they better watch out because I might just slap it right out of the air. And he drops down in my macaroni and I don't even know if I'm going to pick it out. (laughs) You ain't nothing. The anticipation can be worse than the reality, in other words. You might fear poverty. You might fear unemployment. You might fear being socially alone. You might be fear being socially rejected and dejected, missing out, being taken advantage of by other people. You may fear people. You may fear discomfort. And you may fear death. Don't let any of those things stop you from serving the Lord. Judges chapter 7, verse 3. Fear is mentioned quite a few times through this account of Gideon. Verse 7, 3 says, Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people 20 and 2,000, and there remained 10,000. The Lord told Gideon, you've got an army of 30,000 there, over 30,000 men, you've got an army. That's too many for me to give you the victory. You guys will think you did it on your own. Let's get rid of some of your people. Here, those who fear and are afraid. In the King James it says, "Those uh, those who are fearful and afraid, let them leave. Well, two thirds of the army left. The thing is, all of them had fear. Gideon had fear. But the Lord said, send home those who are fearful and afraid. Let them resign from the battle. And afraid means they're trembling. Your fear will inhibit your performance. You're all afraid. Of course you're afraid. I accept that you're afraid, but you've got to go forward and you've got to perform. How many times am I afraid when I take this lectern and share the Word of God with you? I will tell you, I am very often afraid. But I can't tremble. I've got to do the job. I've got to go forward. I've got to be a good faker. I've got to be a holy hypocrite. Got to fake it till you make it. I'm going to prove to you in a second that Gideon had fear. We already saw he had fear that he couldn't tear down the altar of Baal in the daytime. He had to do it at night. The Lord accepted that. You know he had fear because he asked the Lord to do these miracles with handfuls of wool, wet, dry. 
But he, the Lord couldn't have them be on top of their fear to be afraid or to tremble. That would inhibit their performance. That would mean fear was not under control. That would mean fear was controlling them rather than they were controlling the fear. It's okay to have butterflies in your stomach. And in fact, butterflies can enhance your performance sometimes. But fear can turn from butterflies in your stomach until trembling with your hands. It can spread very quickly. Fear can spread from one person to another when people start to see outward manifestations of fear. And you can't have that when you're going into battle. Gideon's army could not afford the spread of trembling in their midst. If you recall, they win the battle by sneaking up to the Midianites with torches inside upside-down ceramic pitchers. And then at the, at the predetermined moment, they smashed the ceramic pitchers to suddenly reveal the light of the torches to the Midianite camp. They surrounded the Midianite camp. 300 of them did with these torches. Well, they can't go out there with these ceramic pictures and tortures and be (laughs) I gotta hit it now and I drop my torch and they couldn't be trembling they could have fear but they couldn't be trembling they had a job to do they had to go forward in the job that they had to do Judges chapter 7 verse 10 This is before the breaking of the pitchers, but this is after they sent home men that were fearful and afraid. The Lord says to Gideon, But if thou fear to go down, go thou with Purah thy servant down to the host. This is when the Lord instructs Gideon to take his servant, sneak into the Midianite camp. That was a pretty courageous thing to do. But why did he do it? Because he was afraid. Very interesting. Such a battle between fear and courage. Exhibiting courage time after time, but having a battle with fear time after time. And now the Lord says, if you're afraid, if, or if, you, are, are, if you have fear, go down to the Midianite camp. Well, that was a very courageous thing to do. Just him and his servant. Sneak right up on the Midianites so you can hear them in a quiet conversation. They had to be maybe right outside of a tent. And this is when Gideon hears the Midianites' dream of the barley loaf that we spent a morning on. What did Gideon observe when he snuck into the Midianite camp? He discovered that they were battling fear as well as he was. In fact, they were more afraid than he and his army were afraid. God would win the battle with an inferior army because the superior army was filled with fear. I forgot to mention, do you remember how they reduced the army to 300? It was the guys who dipped their hands in water and lifted it up to their mouths and drank the water out of the palms of their hands so they could keep their heads up and look around. Might we say that those guys were motivated by fear? Everybody struggles with fear, brothers and sisters. 
Don't condemn yourself because you struggle with fear. It's part of life and it's part of human nature. But don't let it stop you from serving the Lord. Now see, I'm sharing with you a message this morning about serving the Lord. I am not here. I am not your therapist. Okay? I'm not your therapist. I meet with quite a few people at Christian Health that ask to speak with a pastor and ask for prayer. I always start by telling them, I'm not a therapist. I'm a man of God. I'll pray with you. I'll I'll try to help you believe in God. But I am not a therapist. We are not trying to rid you of all your paranoias and your neuroses and your fears and bring uh, uh, soulish health to you. The church does not exist for soul therapy. The church exists for the glory of God. To serve God. To do the will of God and obey God. Gideon had to battle with fear. He had to overcome fear. The Lord said, okay, you just sent home everybody in your army that's afraid. Now, if you're afraid, go sneak down into the Midianite camp and listen to what they're talking about. They're more afraid than you are. Gideon had to learn that fear is part of life. Master it. Do not get it. Do not allow it to induce you to worship idols. Do not allow it to stop you from serving the Lord. Do not allow it to stop you from tearing down the idols of self. We seem to have come in our culture, in the greater Western culture, to believe that the purpose of the human life is to be happy is to be satisfied. I will tell you, that's a lie. The purpose of the human life is to serve, obey, and worship our Creator. The happiness will come. The happiness will take care of itself. You just don't worry about the happiness part. If you have to wait until you breathe your last so that you can go and live forever in the new Jerusalem, happy in the presence of God, isn't it worth it? You'll be happy for an eternity. We have made the search for the authentic self a birthright. In America, protected by American law and the Supreme Court of the United States of America, to the point that a child is legally protected if he says, I am a girl in a boy's body. That is the extent that we have taken the search for human happiness and the elevation of human feelings. Tastes, intuitions, that the Supreme Court even protects a child's right to say what he feels is his gender and orientation at a very young age. And everybody, step back. Everybody, get back. 
And let that child find himself. That has become the protected right in America. That is the elevation that we have taken the search for the authentic self. We should take the search for the authentic God half so high. We should take it twice as high, but let's start with half as high. The elevation of self is not a neutral issue with God. No. We, we might think, oh, there's really bad stuff, you know, sinful stuff, like the works of the flesh. There's really bad stuff. And then there's really good stuff, which is the fruit of the Spirit. And then there's all this neutral stuff, the matters of the soul and the personality that's just different. Not bad, not good, just different. We have to be very careful. That is not the case. I want to show you an example. Would you turn, please, in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19. Galatians 5, 19. This is the works of the flesh, and, and um, we're now studying triune man in our home fellowships. How many of you who go to home fellowships like the crazy little videos that I make? Galatians 5.19 says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, those are all sexually related. And verse 20 starts off with idolatry. Idolatry is a work of the flesh. We read in the Bible how in the end days, people will be lovers of money, lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasures, rather than lovers of God. I want you to listen to that. Lovers, lovers, lovers. Lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, versus instead of lovers of God. Loving God is your worship. And when you love something more than you love God, you have turned that thing into an idol. Loving something more than you love God is creating an idol out of that thing. So you can love yourself more than you love God. You can love pleasures more than you love God. You can love money more than you love God. And in any case, it's idolatry. It might surprise you to see the word idolatry on this list of the works of the flesh. It might surprise you Because you might think of idolatry as pretty dressed up. You know, idolatry's got temples, statues, altars, priesthoods, doctrines, teachings, proclamations, scriptures. These are uh, idolatries. Uh, And so you might think idolatry's all kind of dressed up like that. But I want to tell you, idolatry is a work of the flesh. Is that what the Bible says? It's not a work of the mind. It's a work of the flesh. Oh, it gets all dressed up with teachings and doctrines, with works of art, statues and and temples. It gets all dressed up with 
liturgies and and, uh, rituals and sacrifices. It gets all dressed up. But I'm telling you, at its heart, idolatry is animal flesh. Animal sinful flesh, just like the illicit sex that you read about in this list of the works of the flesh, just like the contention, the arguing, the fighting, the factions that you read about, just like the drunkenness and the witchcraft that you read about in this list of the works of the flesh, idolatry is a work of the flesh too. It's animal, it's fleshly, and do you know what is at the heart of it? Animal fear. It's that fear that will turn even God's people into idolaters because they're afraid for their happiness. They're afraid for their prosperity. They're afraid that they won't be happy if they serve God with all their hearts. They're afraid that something will be taken away from them if they don't serve money and serve careers, and serve education. Oh, I've got to, I want to serve the Lord, but, you know, we've got to add to the Lord. I, want to, I don't want to leave any bases uncovered here. We've got to add to the Lord a healthy reverence for money. And when it comes to my own personal happiness, and how I feel inside, and My personal needs, well, that's got to be elevated to number one. Lovers of self rather than lovers of God. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Oh, brothers and sisters, there's idolatry right in the churches. I know there's an intellectual and a ritual side to idolatry. It's all just window dressing, brothers and sisters. At heart, idolatry is fear-driven. That's why the Lord said, don't fear the gods of the Amorites. You don't need to add Baal and Asherah to your list of uh, uh, masters to ensure your happiness, your prosperity, your safety. You don't have to add them. Put your entire trust in Jehovah. Idolatry is fear-driven. Idolatry is about loving our physical self above God. Fearing the idol above fearing God. Like a dog fawning at its master's feet, trembling at its master's feet, shaking, fawning, looking up at its master, putting its head halfway inside, ducking its shoulders like a dog that's been hit and kicked. The mature have learned to overcome fear. There's more about uh, addressing fear in the account of Gideon, but I want to take our remaining time. I want to hustle on to the teaching of Jesus about fear. So if you will join me in the Gospel of Luke chapter 12. Are you with me, brothers and sisters? Hallelujah. Can I hear a praise the Lord? Let's take a little praise break. Praise you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Hallelujah. Luke twelve thirty two. Fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that you have. 
Give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old. A treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You will worship with your treasure. You will worship. Uh, Brother Don shared about uh, being generous with our money uh, Wednesday, a week ago, Wednesday, about 10 days ago. Shared on tithing. Very good message. Encouraging us to be generous with our money. I would also add, if, we're, if we don't worship with our money, what kind of Christians are we? The Lord, we're going to worship the Lord in all other ways, but not worship the Lord with our money? Oh, we should worship Him with our money. And worshiping Him with our money means we take it out of the realm of referendum on the direction of the church. In other words, we don't say, I'll give when I agree with what the church is doing. I'm not going to give when I don't agree with what the church is doing. We have just taken it out of the realm of worship anymore. Then when you give, you don't give out of worship. You give out of vote. You're giving as a vote. A vote of approval. No, don't turn giving into a vote. It's worship. God intends for it to be worship. It is worship. And we will have to overcome our fear. In Jesus, we don't overcome our fears to go into a military battle. We overcome fear that hinders us from being generous with our physical lives. Fear is very tied to our physical lives. And this is why Jesus uh, says in this passage... um, Provide for yourself bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens, because he's challenging our fear for our physical lives. He continues that in verse 22. He sa- uh, it says, And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on, neither, neither for the Lamborghini. You hope to put it, pull into your driveway someday. For life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment, and success in life is more than Lamborghinis. I'm having trouble discerning what was original text in my Bible and what I wrote in as notes. I don't know if you noticed. Verse 24, Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. Yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not 
Ye what ye shall eat and what ye shall drink, neither be of doubtful mind, for all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. Notice there is a very physical aspect to fear. Gideon redlined at morning. Once the light came up, he was too afraid to act. When the sun went down, he was okay. And that's because of the physical nature of fear. We fear pain. It is not merely a psychological, emotional challenge. It is very associated with our physical welfare. And when we read these verses, we should not only think of them as directed toward the poor. Oh, these verses are for the poor. When they can't make their bills, when they don't know how they're going to buy groceries, they should read these verses and take courage. Aren't these verses for the wealthy just as well? Isn't Jesus talking to all of us here? Aren't we all being challenged to serve him here? And to stop allowing fear for our physical quality of life to stop us. This passage is not just to help the poor cope. It's to help all of us to serve. Verse 31 says, But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. We're not to live being dictated to by the same fears that are dictating to the world, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our classmates. We're not to live in the same fears as those around us. We are not to fear the gods of the Amorites. They're idolaters. We're actually called to be quite daring in the exercise of faith. And if we have lost our daring, we may wonder if we have lost our faith. I am really pleased with the way this church has showed up for home fellowships. When it comes to leaders, so many of you have opened your homes fearlessly, or maybe you had fears, but you opened them just the same. You overcame your fears. And you open your homes. I often, at leadership seminar, which we have on every other Sunday evening, thank the leaders for opening their homes. It's quite a thing to open your home to a group of people, some of whom you may not even know very well. Not for one Friday night, but for Friday night after Friday night after Friday night. That is not lost on me. That is courageous. To open up for people to have discussion of their testimonies. To confess their faults. To say their desires. I'm also so blessed how many of you participate and you go and you open yourselves up to each other. And you just want to be real with each other. And you just want to discuss the Word of God with each other. Praise God. If you haven't signed up for a home fellowship yet, I strongly encourage you to consider joining a home fellowship. It it will uh, definitely rattle and shake our attempt to fade 
into the anonymity, the cloud, the the smoke of anonymity. You won't be anonymous there. Everybody will get to know you. You will get to know everybody. That's the idea. A lot of people have taken uh, great courage. It It was scary for them to step out of the cloud of anonymity. It was, it was a red line for them. It was like coming out of the dark into the night, and they crossed it. I want to also encourage, while I'm at it, those of you who are already members of home fellowships to go. Please respect your leaders' courage to open their homes to clean their homes, get it ready for you, get a table set, get all their materials in order for you, and wait for you at the door, waiting for the doorbell to ring, the door to knock, or maybe at your home fellowship you just walk right in and waiting for you and you don't show up. Show up. Out of respect and honor to what is going on there. You need to go. Go out of your way. Inconvenience yourself. Fight your way to it. Don't be a baby about it. Luke 12, 4. I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. There is that physical nature of fear. And after you have no more... After that, have no more that they can do. Verse 5, But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. We saw in the account of Gideon how Gideon had challenges and victories, that there was a thread through it of the challenge to, of fear. Fear had to be dealt with. Fear had to be overcome. We also see it as an important part of Jesus' encouragement to his followers as they go forward in ministry. They're not to be mastered by physical fear. That is, listen to me now, they are not to be mastered by their concern for their physical quality of life. We have it drummed into us in Western culture that life is all about striving for a better quality of life. How do you like that phrase? Quality of life. Good quality of life. Better quality of life. I want better quality of life. When I have to be put on life-sustaining machines, pull the plug. I don't want that kind of quality of life, we say. I want quality of life. It is thought to be a birthright. Quality of life in this country. It's a mantra. I want to tell you, it can also be an idolatry. It can be an idol. Because that is the very thing that is encouraging some men to say, I, am, I have a woman inside me trapped inside a man's body. Quality of life. And the homosexual says, quality of life. 
And before you know it, we're going to have the inse- the, those involved in incest say, quality of life. And those involved in perversion, they're going to say, quality of life. It's the idol of the Amorites of our age. We don't have Baal statues and Asherah totem poles. We have quality of life. Jesus is saying, do not fear for your quality of life. God knows you have need of these things. Don't you think that God cares about you? He cares about you more than the sparrows and more than the lilies of the field. He cares about you. Give it up to God. But whatever you do, don't let it stop you from serving Him. What are the body killers we fear today in our culture? Shootings, sure. Shootings. Schools are targeted. Churches, synagogues are targeted. Grocery stores. Shootings, they're the body killers of today. I know that. Historically and still in this day and age, in many parts of the world, Christians may fear persecutors who would like to kill them. Rome had quite quite a history of that, didn't it? Right? Killing Christians. Feeding them to the beasts. Burning them alive crucifying them. And Jesus said, don't fear the one that can kill the body. But I want to expand on that thought and expand on that idea. Don't fear the body killer. I'm going to tell you, uh, sickness is going to take out a lot of us, brothers and sisters. It's a body killer. Don't fear it. Don't fear the body killer of sickness Diabetes, heart disease, cancer, what's going to take you out? Something's going to take you out. I'll be honest with you. I'd rather be taken out by a persecutor's weapon than by cancer. Take me out serving the Lord. Take me out for Jesus. I don't want any, I don't want any of them if I can get by them, but whatever the Lord wants, right? Whatever the Lord wants. What are the body killers we fear? All right, we may fear the persecutor. But we have a lot of body killers that want to stop faith nowadays besides the persecutions of gangs and weapons. Because we fear many times what will happen to the size of our home, to the quality of our car, to the climate we live out our lives in. And we may say, never mind the church, I'm going to move away to a better climate. How are you going to love your brethren from there? How are you going to encourage your pastor from there? I want encouragement. I need encouragement. How are you going to encourage your pastor from long distance? How are you going to encourage the teachers at the academy and the deacons of the church and the servants of the church if we opt For I want to live my life out in warmth and comfort and sit back and relax. Quality of life, quality of life is all all on the table when it comes to quality of life. Serve Jesus first, right? 
So much is done in our culture to improve and preserve and enhance the quality of our physical lives. We're taught that there's nothing wrong. It's never wrong to seek a better quality of life. But there is something wrong if it gets in the way of serving God. It is not the chief endeavor of life. It is not the highest endeavor of life. It is not the greatest of importance. And so we may fear the body killers of sickness, sacrifice, and service. Jesus tells us to have faith. God will take care of us. Put your quality of life issues in his hands by serving him with daring. Paul tells us, present your bodies a living sacrifice to God, which is your acceptable service or your acceptable worship. Presenting your bodies a sacrifice to God. There is a very physical nature to serving God, just as there is a very physical side to fear. Some people want a faith that is only inner, psychological, that treats their psychological foibles and neuroses. And they look to Jesus for psychological help. Jesus, be my therapist. Help me feel better inside. But Jesus challenges us to overcome physical fear in serving him. And it is quite a challenge. But it is the gospel brought to the earth. It is the gospel brought to our lives. It is the true service of God. It is really serving God when you make it physical. Just like idolatry is in the works of the flesh. Maybe to our surprise. Oh, that's a work of the flesh? With all that pageantry? With all that doctrine? With all that priesthood? Work of the flesh? It's animal? Oh, it's animal because it's motivated by fear for the physical self. Lord, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word. Let your word go deep and help us to serve you. Oh, Lord, I've been praying since January 1. Let me not hold back. Let me not hold back in serving you. I pray it again right in front of the congregation where you have put me to serve. I ask you, Lord, let me not hold back in serving you. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you. See you tonight for prayer meeting.